Good to be here with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> so this uh, man gets a phone call from his doctor. Uh, doctor says, you know, these tests you had recently, I've had the results come back through, and uh, I've got some good news and some bad news. Man says, oh, give me the good news first. He says, well, the good news is you've got 24 hours to live. Man says, what? That's terrible. What's the bad news? Says, doctor says, the bad news is I've been trying to get hold of you since yesterday. So this morning, I've got some good news and some bad news for you, except in our case, the good news really is good news. In fact, it is the best news you're ever going to hear. As Caleb said, we're starting a new series this morning. This is looking at the build-down part of our priorities. We're going to be talking about foundations. And um, you know, when it comes to buildings, structural problems, I'm saying this conscious that my friend David Duncan is sitting here, <laughs> who is an expert in these matters, but structural problems are very often the result of a poor foundation. Cracks in the walls, uneven floors, doors sticking can all indicate that there's a problem with the foundations. And in the same way, I believe that many of the foundations, that many of the problems that we struggle with as believers, maybe a lack of assurance that God loves you, worrying whether you're truly saved, uh, maybe sliding back repeatedly into the same patterns of behavior, they can all be a sign that you are trying to build on a shaky foundation. And the problem is, no matter how much prayer and how much ministry that you receive, if your foundations aren't right, all you're doing is plastering over the cracks. So this morning, we're beginning a four-week series. We're calling it Elementary. It's based on Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. The letter of Hebrews was probably written to a discouraged community of Jewish Christians to try to encourage them to hold fast to their faith in Christ as their foundation. So let's see what these verses say. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. <clears throat> Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God. Instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So <clears throat> it's like just as we need to grasp basic skills in our education, like reading, writing, arithmetic, before we can go on to become competent in other areas of life, uh, this passage identifies truths that are foundational to our relationship with God. Many of us will already be familiar with this teaching, but you know, it does us no harm to go back over these things now and again and to make sure that our foundations are in good shape. So this morning we're going to be looking at just the first two topics identified here, repentance and faith. And really, they, these are two sides of the same coin. Together they represent the response to God that establishes a relationship with Him on the right foundation. So we're, to do this, we're going <clears> to <throat> dive into Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Here's what it says. After John, this is John the Baptist, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good 
news. So what does it mean that the time has come? The Greek language in which this was written has two words for time. There's chronos, which is like clock time, chronometer, and there's kairos, which is the right time. It's the moment you've been waiting for, this decision time, it's the turning point. And when Jesus begins his public ministry, this is a kairos moment. All of history has been leading up to this time. This is the moment that God has been working towards through all these long centuries. This is, it's like Paul says in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. That's what's happening now. And when he comes forth, what is his message? Mark sums it up in these two phrases. The kingdom of God is near or is at hand. And then repent and believe the good news. So first of all, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom has arrived on earth in the person of Jesus. This is like D-Day for the world. The launching of God's counteroffensive against the evil and sin and death that for thousands of years has held the world in its grip. The news that God's kingdom had come was, a, was news that was long awaited by the people of Israel. For hundreds of years, they had lived under the oppression and domination of one kingdom, one empire after another, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. And throughout that time, the prophets had promised that God would come to set them free and to establish his kingdom. At last, that time had come. Only it wasn't what they expected. Kingdoms normally have have uh, borders and languages, have capital cities and currencies, have powerful armies and bureaucracies. The kingdom of God has none of these things. And yet it will turn out to be greater and more far-reaching than the people of Israel could ever have imagined. It's a kingdom that will last forever. It will include people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And it is still advancing to this day. How do you become part of that kingdom? The answer Jesus gives us, repent and believe the good news. Note this, it's not repent and then believe. It's repent and believe. These go hand in hand. And together they describe the life-transforming process of turning away from sin and turning in faith to God. Now let's be honest, talking about sin doesn't go down very well these days, does it? But this isn't about one group of people telling another group, you lot are sinners and you need to repent. We could, the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the penalty is death. Not only physical death, but eternal separation from God. That's, that's the bad news. And, um, you know, sin isn't just about individual acts. People always want to say, is this a sin? Is that a sin? It's, in essence, it's a state of rebellion against the God who created us. It's thinking that we know better than him. It's putting created things in the place of our 
creator and trying to find our identity and satisfaction in them. So to repent means to have a change of mind. If you've got a sat-nav in your car and you're heading in the wrong direction, you may well hear your sat-nav tell you to repent. It won't use that word. This is a very, very religious sat-nav. Uh, what it will say, as soon as it is safe, make a U-turn. To repent just simply means you realize you're going in the wrong direction and you turn around and you turn to God. And, uh, and the thing is, it's safe to make that U-turn because God has opened up a way for you to come to him and to enter his kingdom. He's waiting with arms open wide to welcome you. That's the good news. And this is what we see the prodigal son doing. This is exactly what we see him doing in the story that Jesus told. He, he realized that the things that he had thought would make him happy were making him miserable. And so he turned around and he came home to his father. And of course, to his surprise, his father ran to meet him with his arms open wide. So repentance and faith go hand in hand. And the faith that we need is more than just believing that God exists. Even the devil <coughs> believes that. Jesus tells us to repent and believe the good news. That, that word is in Greek, it's euangelion, from which we get evangel, evangelist, whatever. It can sometimes, you'll find it in your Bible, translated as the gospel, the good news. And so an evangelist literally is someone who proclaims good news, glad tidings. So what is the good news that, uh, that Jesus is referring to here? here? Here are three statements that claim to answer that question. See if you can tell me whether each of them is the truth or a lie. Here's the first one. Okay? The good news is that God wants to help you to feel good about yourself and to be a better person. Truth or lie? Come on. Anybody? Hands up if you think that's the truth. Hands up if you think that's a lie. Oh, okay. That's kind of evenly spread. I'm sorry, that's, that's a lie. <laughs> that is what is sometimes referred to as moralistic therapeutic deism. That's uh, something that people commonly believe nowadays, but that actually... And God does want to help you, you know, to be a better person, but that's not actually what the good news is about. Here's the second one. The good news is that your good de if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you'll go to heaven. Truth or lie? Lies. Lies. Okay? That's works, what we'd call works-based religion. In, in the verse in Hebrews that we, that we looked at, the NIV talks about repenting from acts that lead to death. That includes not only the things that we th might think of as sins, but also our attempt to save ourselves through religious rituals or by keeping some set of rules. You cannot work your passage into God's kingdom. It's by grace through faith. Here's the third one. The good news is that God forgives your sins, so now you're free to live as you please. Truth or lie? Come on. 
Commit yourself. That's a lie. Anybody think? Okay. I would say that's a lie. Romans 6, Paul writes, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may, may increase? What a terrible thought. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodly passions and desires. So what is the good news? You tell me. Come on. What's the good news? We've been offered a fresh start. Choose to say yes to what? Starting again. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Anybody else want to add to that or refine that? Or Okay. Wow. God loves us. That's good news. That really is good news. Yes. We can be in a right relationship with God. Yes. Now it's all coming out. Yeah. Joan. Jesus is alive. That's good news. Yeah. Anything else? Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Now we're getting to the nub of it. Okay. Great. Well, that's all right. So what we usually mean by the good news or the gospel is that by his death and resurrection, Jesus paid in full the penalty for your sins and mine so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God and receive his gift of eternal life, that fresh start that we were talking about. That or something like it is probably how you're accustomed to hearing the good news described. Now that is wonderfully true, and it is definitely good news, but some would question whether that is the message, that's, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, repent and believe the good news. They would say that this approach focuses too much on individual salvation, and that the good news is actually a much bigger story about the coming of God's kingdom, to set the world right, to bring peace and justice, and ultimately to restore God's creation. Like a fresh start, not just for us, but for the whole of God's creation. So, so just as a herald in Roman times, in these times, might have entered a city and declared, Caesar is Lord, so the good news is the announcement that Jesus, the Messiah, is Lord. That in him, God is restoring his kingdom, reconciling his world, uh, reconciling the world to himself. And we become part of what God is doing by giving our allegiance to Christ, to put our trust in him. My own view is that it's both. And I agree that the good news is, is about something bigger than our individual salvation. But it's never about less than that. Jesus is Lord, but if that's all he is, that leaves me in deep trouble. So the good news is also that Jesus is Savior, that he's the one who saves us. And um, he didn't just come to save the world, he came to save you and me so that we can be part of God's restored creation. So whatever angle we come at it from, the good news really is the story of Jesus, in particular about his death and resurrection. That's how he became king, and that's how he brings about our salvation. So believing the good news means relying on God's saving work in Christ. 
1 Corinthians 15 summarizes the good news that, that Paul proclaimed. And he states that it's by this gospel that we are saved. Here's what he says. For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared first to Peter, then to the twelve, then to more than 500 people at the same time. When Paul says that, he, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, he's referring to what we would call the Old Testament, which makes up around two-thirds of our Bible. The story of Jesus is basically the fulfillment of all that went before it, all that we read about in the Old Testament. Uh, it looks right back to the Garden of Eden, uh, where the serpent's head, the, the seed of the woman, would crush the, the serpent's head. And, and, and uh, it looks right through the whole story of Israel, which is in many ways a foreshadowing of all that Christ would come and do. And actually, it even looks forward to the final restoration at the end of the age, when Christ will come again in the fullness of his kingdom to judge the living and the dead and usher in God's restored creation. So in one sense, all that is the good news. But yet, it is simple enough that a child can understand it. Jesus loves me. Jesus died for my sins. If I put my trust in him, I know that I'm loved by God. I'm a child of God. And yet, it's at the same time, it is deep enough that the angels even never tire of looking into it. So, how do we come to believe the good news? Is it just a case of kind of weighing up the evidence and coming to a decision? No. The Bible tells us that faith comes how? Faith comes by hearing the message. The good news is not just information. It's it's, there is power in it. Paul describes it as the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So that he can say in Ephesians, he says that it's by grace you have been saved. Through faith, it's by grace, it's through faith, but this faith is not from yourselves. It's, it's a gift. It is the gift of God. So you find yourself this morning thinking, this is true. I believe this. That's not, that's not just a decision that you have taken. It's because of a decision that God took in advance. It's a decision. Your decision is based on a decision that God has already taken to make himself known to you. Finally, what happens then when you repent and believe the good news? Well, on the outside, you look pretty much the same. Um, but appearances, you know, are deceptive. And in fact, what has happened is that a real and profound change has taken place in who you are. You are now united with Christ. You are part of God's new creation. Christ is in you, and you are in him. You are adopted into God's family. Your sins are no longer accounted against you. Instead, the righteousness of Christ is credited to you. You are brought into a right standing, a right 
relationship with God. What the Bible calls justified. That means that for you, the verdict is in. You're not waiting for Sue Gray or the Metropolitan Police to deliver their verdict. You are blameless in God's sight. Just think about that for a moment. You are blameless in God's sight. Now this good news that is so foundational to Christianity is utterly unique. In, in every religion, your performance leads to the verdict, right? If you, if you measure up to the standard, if you take part in the right religious practices, whatever they be, then you are accepted. The problem is that no one is good enough, that we all fall short of the mark. But when it comes to the good news about Jesus, it's the other way around. The verdict comes first. The moment that you turn to Jesus, God credits his perfect righteousness to you as if it is your own. He puts his spirit in you. He adopts you into his family. You are loved and accepted. You then begin to live out that new identity. Performance comes after the verdict and not before it. You take on the family likeness, not in order to win God's approval, but because you already have it. And as you count on that and live in the truth of it, then you will begin to change from the inside out. So it seems to me, to go back to where we started, that so many of the problems that we run up against as believers can be traced back to this, that we forget the good news. You feel like you're still on trial. You're still trying to measure up. You think that in order to be really accepted by God, you need to change. And what's happening is in your heart, you are judging yourself by how well you feel you are doing. Hello? Am I talking to anyone here? And really, what you're doing, in other words, is you're basing your justification on your sanctification, which is turning the message of Christ totally upside down. You're acting as if you're counted righteous because you behave righteously, which is the, exactly the opposite of the gospel. And to whatever extent you are doing that, you are building on the wrong foundation. So to you, Jesus says, the time has come. Repent and believe the good news. You know, the good news is for everyone. We, I think we have this understanding that it's just something for people who are not yet Christians. But we need to hear the good news. I need to preach the good news to myself nearly every day because it's just so easy to fall into that habit of feeling that I've got to kind of justify myself in some way or other. See, you need to hear the gospel on the days when you feel like you're doing well because you could easily slip into pride. This isn't, the gospel isn't about building your self-esteem. It's not making you feel better about yourself. On the days when you wonder if you're really saved, when you've slipped into the same sin again, when you feel as if God 
must have had totally enough of you, you need to repent and believe the good news. Jesus has done it all. And, uh, you know, the good news tells you that your righteous standing before God, His love for you, His promises to you, are not determined by what you do, by what other people think of you, by what you feel about yourself on any particular day. It is grounded in Jesus, who He is, what He has done, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. His death on the cross in your place. His intercession for you now. That is the foundation that we build our lives on. And you know what? The stronger that foundation becomes, the more we will experience three things happening to us. I'm finishing with this. Firstly, the deeper will be our conviction of sin. But along with that, secondly, the greater will be our assurance of God's love and acceptance. This is the paradox of the gospel. At the same time, it shows me that I'm far worse than I thought, but also that I am far more deeply loved than I could ever have imagined. Thirdly, the good news, you know, it doesn't make us have a lower view of ourselves or a higher view of ourselves. It actually just causes us to think about ourselves less and to rejoice more in God for who He is and for what He has done for us in Christ. I really believe that the good news is the fuel and the fire of worship. It really is. I wonder if we could, uh, we could have the band back up and let's just finish there and we'll pray. So the time has come. Repent and believe the good news. That is the message, I think, this morning. And, uh, you know, maybe this morning for you, God is reaching out to you, inviting you to, to turn to Him and, and put your trust in Him. That might be reaffirming that trust. Maybe you're realizing, you know what, I've just kind of slipped away from that foundation. I'm, I'm trying to justify myself. I'm feeling like I've got to, there's something I've got to do in order to become acceptable to God. Um, if that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you and, and, and maybe here or at home, uh, you're listening to this and, and you're thinking, you know what, I, I'm ready for the first time to take this step, to just, to turn from sin, to turn from living life as I see fit and, and to put my trust in Jesus, to believe this good news that God has done everything in Christ that's necessary for me to come into a right relationship with Him. If, you, if that's you and you're ready for that, then this prayer is for you as well. So let's just, let's just bow our heads and let's take a moment to pray. Lord, how can we begin to thank You for all that You have done for us? You died in our place. You rose from the grave. You're interceding for us now in the heavenlies. God, we turn this morning, we turn from all of our foolish attempts to justify ourselves, uh, to try and find our identity and satisfaction in something other than you, in created things rather than our, in our creator. Lord, we turn to you in faith. Thank you, Father, that your arms are, 
are open wide to welcome us in. Lord, we come to you now through Christ, trusting in all that he has done. Thank you. Let, your, let this good news of Jesus be our song from this day forward, we ask in his name. Amen.